Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. I am glad that you are here today. We have the freedom to meet in church and not worry about getting arrested. I'm glad that God has provided the finances for us to be able to afford chairs that are reasonably comfortable and air conditioning and uh, lights on the inside. Uh, If you've ever been in another country, what they call developing country, uh, that's not always true. I was preaching in a rural community in Cuba when all the lights went out in the entire village. It's not just the church. And so uh, we preached by candlelight. Uh, it took a while to get that going. And, and there was pigs just outside. And it was a overcast day. And the smell of the pigs came right into the church. And, and so when I was through preaching, everybody was teary-eyed. And it had nothing to do with the message. Uh, but, but we're blessed. One of the dangers of being blessed is we forget we live in a spiritual combat zone. We don't experience it as much right here, right now, but it's just as real. In fact, during the message, you're going to face spiritual combat. You're going to face spiritual warfare because the Bible says as God's message is communicated, Jesus told the story of this, and as God's truth goes out, Satan comes along and tries to snatch it out of our heads and out of our hearts, so we will not follow the Lord. So before we open God's Word, well, hopefully you can go ahead and open it to Colossians 2, but before we start reading it, I want you to take a moment, just you and God, you ask God to help you focus so that Satan won't snatch these truths away so that you can learn and you can grow and be encouraged in the Lord. And then I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment. You just talk to God and then I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, and I'm very aware of the responsibility that you have placed in me to communicate your truth. But Father, I have an equal responsibility with all the people here to hear your truth. May you speak not only through your word and through your preacher, but may you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Uh, May we learn and grow and be encouraged in the Lord. Satan does not want us to focus on Jesus. He does not want us to focus on spiritual truth. And I pray that today we would have the victory and he would not. That we would tune in and focus on you and learn and be encouraged in our walk with you. And if there are those here who've never trusted Christ, may today they realize they need a savior. May they ask him to forgive their sins and save their soul. And we know he will because that's what he said in scripture. So today we ask that you would help us to focus our thoughts, our hearts, our emotions, our will 
so that we might yield to and learn from your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians, uh, we've been studying through the book of Colossians, and and uh, we're, we're working into chapter 2 today. And uh, earlier today, we shared blessings during the month of June. And uh, I was... Uh, uh, surprised that Megan and AJ didn't jump up and say, we got married. And so at least Megan shared she was blessed. M- maybe AJ is. I don't know. But uh, now I, I want you to look back at some of the great moments in your life. Some of the great moments, you know, they're coming like their wedding. They've been planning this, what, for a couple of months. We knew it was going to be in June for Weeks and weeks and weeks, we knew it was going to be June 11th, and, and they've been looking forward to it, ready for it. But, but some things you're not, you're not expecting, they just happened and they were great. Like you're playing in a tennis tournament, and you have a rocket serve that is unreturnable, and you win. That serve is game, set, and match, and you're the champion. Or you make that three-point shot at the buzzer, and your team wins the basketball tournament. Or you catch the football, and you push through the defenders, and you just make it across the goal line. And your team wins the championship because of those efforts. You're running a race and you cross the finish line and you feel that tape smack into your chest as you cross the finish line first. You hit a your one and only grand slam in the tournament and your team wins the game. You successfully negotiated the, the biggest deal of your life or you solved the engineering problem that was plaguing your colleagues and you're like, yes, I got it. Or the IT issue that other people were struggling with and God gave you insight and you figured it out and resolved it. And, uh, or you worked up the nerve to ask and she said, yes. Uh, the wedding, the first kiss as husband and wife or... Um, you held that baby in your arms for that first time and you realize this child only exists because I was here. If I hadn't been on earth, this child wouldn't be on earth. And that's a pretty special moment. It's also special if you're in the courtroom and the judge says, okay, now this child is yours. This child belongs in your family. This child has your last name now. That's pretty special. Uh, maybe you you have the best meal in the best restaurant to celebrate something, or the moment after the scariest moment of your life, the moment after when you realize we're all okay. That's a great moment. Um, You're first on the scene and you provide emergency response to somebody. And when the paramedics arrive, they praise you and they say, you saved this person's life by your swift action. Or even better, you help somebody to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We have moments in life where we experience an emotion that the Bible calls the fullness There's an emotion where we're so filled with and and there's a fullness to it and sometimes we see it coming and sometimes we just experience it and we're blown away by it. But we're aware of how precious life is. And at that moment of fullness, we realize 
Life can't get better than this. We survived. We thrived. We excelled. Whatever it was. Well, in Colossians, we're going to look at his fullness and your own. At the fullness of life in Christ. And those who do not have Christ, they may be the world champion. They may be the richest man or the richest woman in the world. They may lead a nonprofit that does phenomenally good things on planet Earth. But if they do not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they do not have the fullness of life. And so Colossians chapter 2 says, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now, okay, Paul's not saying, I just feel bad for those people who can't see me because I'm so good looking. That's not what he's talking about. But when he goes, it's not, hey, I want you to be able to see me. When I was a kid, my grandpa would always say, I'm so proud you got to see me. I don't know. Well, all of us wondered what on earth he meant. So we asked our mom and our aunts, and they had no idea. We asked grandma, and she said, I never listened to him. So we don't know what he meant. But, but Paul wasn't saying, you just need to be able to see me and all things will be great. You know, there's some preachers on TV that act like that. That, oh, if you just trust them, everything's great. Well, a real preacher of the gospel says, don't trust me, trust Jesus. When you trust and follow Jesus, then... And so what Paul wants to do, he wants to have a ministry. Paul cared about people so much that he cared about the people he'd never even met that he cared about the people he'd never even seen because he wanted them to know the truth of God's word. He wanted them to trust and follow Jesus. And he said, I have great concern because I've never been able to be there and teach God's truths to you. So he felt led of God to write this letter to a people he'd never met so that he could encourage them in the Lord. And so he thrived on, on his ministry to other people. He focused on that. So he had this great conflict, this struggle on the inside of him because there were people out there who didn't know God's truth and he wanted to get it to them. I pause for just a moment. Do you have a great struggle because there's people who don't know Christ? Do you feel inconvenienced by trying to witness to people? Or do you feel passionately connected to the work of God? Paul said, I have this struggle. I want everyone to know. And here's what he wants to see, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when he talks about their hearts, the core of their being, their thoughts, their volition, their will, their emotion, their knowledge, their conscience, he wants all of that to be comforted, to be encouraged, to be knit together in love. That's the way God's family is supposed to be. 
I love coming into church a little early, and I love seeing people interact with one another. I know this morning, uh, Becky's praising the Lord. She got a little bit of a good report from a doctor, but uh, she, she has trouble getting around. And she was over there talking to people. And then came back over here and people interact with one another and they talk with one another. It, it's really fun if you get here early and have that opportunity. Now, if you just come, if, especially if you're here before the Bible class at 930 in the morning, there's lots of talking and moving around and everybody's talking and encouraging and the kids are doing that and their classes and engaging with each other. And, and then uh, we're, Paul said, I want you to have this. I want this connectedness in Christ, this familyness about being in Christ. It's a joy to walk with Christ with others. Paul wanted them to connect and encourage each other relationally. We have a responsibility to each other. We also have a, a joy of hanging out with each other. Uh, this past week, Mike Hall and I spent some time together and we were talking and we just enjoyed it. And then we looked at the clock and thought, well, we spent more time talking than we thought we did. It was just a blessing to be able to connect. Well, that's how God wants us to be. I, Paul's saying, I want you to, to have your hearts encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches with the full assurance of understanding to all riches, the, the spiritual wealth of walking in Christ. Understanding the insight, the comprehension. Isn't it, have you ever read, you know, things that people say, well, the Bible says, or Christians believe, and then it's totally wrong? I remember when Kathy and I were newlyweds, I had read through the Bible at that point once because she challenged me to do it in our dating relationship, and so I did. I've read through it multiple times since, but she had read through it a dozen times or so, and so because she grew up reading through her Bible. And, and so we're sitting, and this guy's trying to sell us a program, and before we would make a commitment, we said, well, we're not going to make a commitment right now. That's salespeople. They want you to make a commitment right now because they get you vulnerable and trying. And so we're not going to do that. We've made a commitment to each other that we will pray about it before we make a financial decision. And this sales guy says, well, the Bible says the good Lord helps those who help themselves. And Kathy said, really? And she went and picked up her Bible and she held it out and said, I've read through that, was it 13 times? Oh, I've read through that and I have never seen that. Can you please show me where that is? You should have seen him backpedaling. But you know what? People say outlandish things that Christians believe. And part of it is that some Christians say terrible things. Like there's a so-called Baptist church out there that they protest and they yell and they scream that God hates homosexuals. God doesn't. Christ died to save them. Now, he still calls it sin. He calls it inappropriate lifestyle. 
But he loves them. He wants to see them trust him and follow him and serve him. And he wants to bless their lives. He wants to see them live in heaven. He doesn't want to see them go to hell. Those people are abusing God's word. And so Paul's saying, I want you to have understanding and insight and comprehension. I want you to have acknowledgement, the knowledge and the recognition of what's true. Because Paul wanted them to be connected relationally and connected doctrinally. So we get it right horizontally in our relationship and we get it right vertically in our relationship with God, that we understand his word. It's not enough to just love people. You know, some people say, well, if you love God and love people, that's all God requires. That's not what God's word says. He wants you to love God, yes, love people, yes, but he also wants you to understand the truth of God's word. In fact, the loving God and loving people is the fulfilling of the prophecies in scripture, the fulfilling of the laws. And as we study and learn God's word, then we are doing exactly what Paul's challenging them here. Have close relationships and good belief system or the worldview as Todd was talking about this morning in the testimony time. We listen, we learn, we grow, and it shapes our lives. And then in verse three, the central focus is Jesus. He said, in whom, Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As we trust and follow Jesus Christ, that's when we have access to great truths of God's word and great truths in life. And the people who ignore it, they ignore Christ to their peril. The first Sunday of this month, we looked at another passage in Colossians at Jesus Christ being the preeminent one. The first one, firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead. Uh, we looked at him being the central figure in all of Scripture. The Old Testament points toward the Messiah, the Christ who would come. The New Testament points back and acknowledges him. The Gospels tell the story of his coming, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Uh, we look and study Jesus Christ. He's the central figure in all of Scripture, the central person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the central person in all of human history, although they're trying to change it now before the common era and the common era. Uh, but the dividing point of history was the birth of Christ, or at least one guy's estimation of when the birth of Christ was. He's the central person in all of human history. He's the God-man, the anointed one, the Savior, Christ our Savior, the Messiah of Israel. And so uh, we are to look at him and find our fulfillment in him. Now, <clears throat> if you're new, I have a medical condition. They're supposed to have, I'm having surgery, it's supposed to be next month. They're supposed to fix it. I'm really excited about that because it's been going on for months. But if, if I look like I'm about to have a heart attack, don't panic. If I collapse and I'm not breathing, please panic, okay? But, but other than that, just, just wait it out. Um, uh, I've gotten used to it and Kathy's gotten used to it. If you see her getting nervous, then you, you can be nervous. 
So back to verse number three. He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, there's a lot of people who consider themselves brilliant, but they don't trust Christ. And someday they're going to stand before him in judgment because they have not received him as Savior. And then in verse 4, he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. So verse 4, people are going to come up with compelling arguments. They're going to deceive you because what they say might sound reasonable. There's so many false things taught out there. With, with the uh, proliferation of the internet, there's all kinds of false teachers out there. And, you know, they'll say, this Bible scholar, well, what makes him a Bible scholar? Well, he declares himself to be a Bible scholar, and then he says what he thinks, and it's not consistent with the teaching of God's Word. That's a blessing this morning to have the Smiths here with us, uh, Jim Smith and his wife and, and grandkids. And you know what? I remember Jim's dad, Jim Smith who was a missionary when Kathy and I were kids. He was one of the missionaries that our church supported. And, and his brother Leonard is one of our missionaries that we support. And his brother Mark is Nathan's pastor up in Flagstaff. And, and, uh, but you know, the message that, that Jim Smith preached back when I was a kid, and Jim wasn't a kid, but he was younger. And you know what? The message his dad preached is the exact same message we preach today. God's word hasn't changed. But there's people who, they want to have this new insight. They want to change things. They want to shift things around. They want people to follow them. As I said earlier, if somebody's truly a preacher of Christ or a teacher of God's word, they do not want you following them. They want you following Jesus. They want you to look at him and trust him and follow him. And so... The goal of the preacher is to get out of the way so the person can deal with the Holy Spirit and respond to God's word and not trust and follow the preacher, but trust and follow the Savior. We're to focus on him and look to him. And there's all kinds of people out there teaching all kinds of things out there that are just not true. I remember when I was in a church in California, there was a pastor back east, well, in the Midwest, but from California, that was back east. And, and this pastor had a big following, and this pastor had this message. And so the people came back from a conference there at that pastor's church, and, um, and they were sharing a testimony, and this one lady shared her testimony, like we had the teens share a little here, and she shared this testimony about this message that that guy preached. And I thought, that's really weird because that's not what the Bible actually says. And so afterward, I asked her, I said, have you looked at the passage and seen what the Bible actually says? Because what he said wasn't what the Bible actually says. Well, she was offended that I would dare question this great Christian leader. You know what we find in the Bible? The exact opposite. We find him praising the people in Berea because they were checking up on the Apostle Paul to make sure he was teaching true to God's word. Anytime a, a speaker says, don't you dare question me, 
you should just run away. Don't, don't stay and question them. Just run away from them. Because if we're not holding ourselves accountable to God's word, then we don't have anything to say. We're all of us together, relationally connected and doctrinally connected in Christ. And Paul wants him to have such a clear understanding of the truth that as soon as somebody teaches error, we recognize it and say, wait a minute, I didn't think that was in there. We had a guest speaker once last time. And when he preached in our church, and afterwards somebody came up to me and said, I had no idea that was in that passage. And I said, you know why you had no idea? Because it's not there. Now, what the guy said wasn't unbiblical, but it wasn't there. He made an application, although the application was biblical, he based it on a text that it wasn't in there. So we need to be honest with God's word and apply it in our lives accurately. And so in verse 5, Paul said, I am partnering with you, even though we've never met. He'd never seen them. Uh, he's never met them, but he's partnering with them. As he says, uh, for though I am absent in the flesh, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He was rejoicing to see the good order, the priorities they had, the uh, biblical focus they had, the, the theological centering, the biblical worldview, the connection they had. And, and he's happy about that. And then their steadfastness, that they were true to the values and, and following through on their commitments. And so, so some churches really emphasize being led by the Spirit. I had a friend who was in a church like that, and he said, in their church, you never know what's going to go on. You show up and the Spirit might lead here and there, you know. And he referenced it like where Jesus said, uh, you, you can see the effect of the wind, but you don't know where it started or where it's going. And he said, that's how it is with the Spirit. You just don't know. And it might blow you over here. It might blow you over there. And what Jesus is actually teaching is the exact opposite of that. What Jesus said is, you can't see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. And so if the, we suddenly had a massive wind blowing right through here, just right through here, what do you think would happen to AJ's hair? His toupee would blow right off. <laughs> now, now <laughs> Nathan warned him that this was going to happen. So, uh, but listen, you could see it. Papers would shift. Those of you with asthma and breathing problems would start going, <gasps> trying to catch your breath because this wind was blowing through here. And so you can see what the Holy Spirit's doing by watching the effect of what the Spirit's doing. Not that it's absolute randomness, but there's actually a pattern to it. When it's blowing this way, things blow that way. When it's blowing this way, things blow that way. You can observe the wind, you can observe the moving of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean you're going to understand everything God's doing. We looked at that last week. There's certain things that God does on planet Earth and we will never fully understand them in this life. Things that he allows to happen on planet Earth. 
but, but we can grow closer to him and we can connect with him and we can watch. And, and we need not only the Holy Spirit's leading, we also need some structure and order. Like we used the illustration before, we had three different people up here singing this morning. And, and what if they were each singing a different tune or singing in a different key? Actually, I might not notice, but, but it would drive her nuts. Uh, uh, we, we want it to be somewhat organized. The church is planned. Sometimes I have a bunch of PowerPoint slides. Today it's just one. Sometimes we have different slides that go through. And occasionally we'll just skip a slide. I'll skip something. I'll move on because the Spirit led to have a conversation that took a little longer in a certain area. So we're going to cut that out. But what we need to realize is that it's not wrong to have plans and to have structure. Paul's praising them because they had plans and structure. But what you have to do is hold your plans out to God with an open hand and allow God to say, "Mm, not that one, not that one. Because he's in charge. We submit to him and we follow him. So he's happy that they have a structure that they're working on. He's happy that they have steadfastness in their commitments to Christ. And then in verse 6, as you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So uh, verse 6 and 7 talks about receiving Christ as your savior, asking him to forgive your sins, and he will, and then walking with him in him, uh, walking along together. Now, in our culture, you might walk beside somebody at the airport. You're not connected to them. You might do different things. Uh, But in their culture, to walk beside someone meant agreement with them. And we're supposed to walk with Christ and walk with him in our life so that the person of Christ becomes an influence in our daily lives that we're aware of his presence, that we're aware of his passions, that we're aware of his desires and his values, and we're trying to live them out as we walk on planet Earth with Jesus alongside of him. In the person and work of the Holy Spirit living inside us, we walk with Christ. And then in verse 7, he says some things that are interesting that you might be rooted and then built up and then established. And so rooted is agricultural. It's the roots going down deep and firmly establishing it, organically connected in Christ, grafted into the family tree. And then built up. This is architectural. Uh, this is the structure. When, when the, this building was originally built, there was a solid wall there and a solid wall there. And uh, when we tore out this wall, uh, we had to b- build footers and build pillars and, and take care of all that. And I say we as in I was the helper and guys like Gary Burnett who knew what they were doing. They were the leaders of things. And, and uh, I was really good at tearing out the walls. And Gary was really good at fixing the new walls. So I was in charge of demolition. He was in charge of construction. And it worked out well for the church <laughs> that we didn't reverse roles. But, but to build up, 
what, what would happen if these pillars were not sufficient to hold this roof? Eventually, things would come crashing down. Eventually, if people were in here, they would die. There's a lot of weight up there. And so we had to have engineers and architects design things and evaluate things. And we had to build it exactly to specifications. And the city had to come over and inspect and say, yes, your footers meet it. You can pour the concrete. Yes, your pillars meet it. You can now put the beam in. All of these things. Because it needed to be built up appropriately. Paul described in 1 Corinthians 3 how we're building our lives on the framework of Jesus. He's the foundation, and we build on that foundation. And then he says, established, affirmed. This is a a legal confirmation. It's fully resolved. You've been legally adopted by God through Christ. You're in his family. You're connected with him. You are his, and he is yours. The interesting thing about these words, these verbs, rooted, built up, established, those are passive. Those are not things you do. If you and I walked out here and we walked over to the tree that's out in the field out there, and uh, that tree is amazing. We never water it. It still hangs out there. And after church, you'll see kids clustered around that tree uh, in the shade out there. Who knows doing what? But, uh, But they're out there having fun under that tree. And if you got up to that tree and you had seismic information, Um, materials and equipment, and you were trying to listen, you could not hear that tree going, trying to put in a root. It happens organically. It just happens. That's what trees do, healthy trees. Unhealthy trees don't build good root system and they fall over. But you see, this is passive. Rooted is something God has done in you. God has so connected you with Christ that you're solid. You're good. If you live another hundred years, you little kids might think that sounds cool. Those of us who are a little older think another hundred years in this body, not such a great idea, you know? Uh, but, But we're rooted, we're connected. So that whenever we die or the rapture happens, we go to be with the Lord. There's no question because he has rooted us. He has built us up in him. He has given us the opportunity to grow and mature in our faith with him. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for more than 50 years. And as you walk with the Lord and you grow and you mature, you trust him more. You have more faith today than you used to have because you've seen God get you through some really bad stuff in your past. And you've seen him be faithful. And so you are rooted and you are built up and you are established. And these are things that God has done in you. And then he says something that seems like the other stuff should be stuff we do. We should try and root and build and, and we should try and establish. And then, then the byproduct would be abounding. But look what he says. As you have, the end of verse 7, he's established you in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now, abounding, that's something you have the responsibility for. Now, God's doing the, the work of saving you when you trust Christ, of 
building you up through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Scripture and the teaching of other people and then establishing you solidly in the faith. God is doing those things. Uh, and then even as you have been taught, that, that's passive. Paul wasn't the one teaching them, but Paul had confidence in what was being taught because Paul knew it was based on God's word and they were being taught accurately. And so he had confidence. He was not the teacher. He had never met them, never seen them, but he knew what they were being taught because it was the truth of God's word. And now abounding, this is something you should do. You should be super abounding in the work of the Lord. It should be bubbling over in your life. There should be a joy in the life of a Christian, even in the midst of our pain. Like Chloe shared this morning, her dad just died. Sad to lose your dad. I did that a couple years ago. It's hard. You know they love the Lord. You know I know my dad's in heaven because he trusted Christ when he was a kid, and Chloe's dad signed a thing in his Bible that he trusted Christ when he was a kid, and we have the confidence that we're going to see them in heaven. So we rejoice that their suffering on earth is over. We're not glad they're dead. We're glad their suffering's over. And there's a joy that we have in Christ that transcends the circumstances of life on earth. That Paul said in the midst of his difficulty and his imprisonment and his beatings, he could say, I know that what has happened to me, has happened to the furtherance of the gospel. God has given me the opportunity to preach to people I would have never met if I hadn't been going through these hard times. And so he could abound in it, a superabundance with overflowing thanksgiving. You know, when I had a lung infection that I got in Cuba in 2011, before that, for 12 years, I'd been going every year to Cuba and ministering and preaching in a pastor's conference there and helping churches. And, and uh, one day I, I spoke seven times in one day. I often spoke three times in a day for days on end while I was there. And it was exhausting, but it was exciting. And Kathy went with me a couple of times, including that last time. And I don't think I would have made it home without her because that infection really derailed me and I barely got back to Arizona and I can't travel internationally now because my lungs are damaged. But, but Kathy and I noticed something in Cuba. The income of the people in Cuba. Today in the world, they say that, that more than 80% of the people in the world live on less than $10 a day. Well, at that time in Cuba, the people who were doing really well got about $30 a month. About a buck a day. And they were the ones who were doing well. And, and we'd stay with people and we'd visit with people and, and we'd look at their struggles. And the thing that really impressed us was their joy in Christ. The believers, they didn't sit and fuss and moan. They rejoiced that they had Christ. And we saw these people who had, humanly speaking, financially speaking, practically nothing. 
and yet they were generously giving to further the work of Christ. And American Christians are known as some of the whiniest people on the planet. We fuss about health concerns. We fuss about politics. And yet we are so blessed in Christ. We should be the most joyful, super abounding in the joy of the Lord. He says, abounding in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, rejoicing and have it overflowing because of Christ. But in, instead of focusing on our problems, we need to focus on our Savior. Instead of uh, grieving over our losses, we need to rejoice in Christ. The true fullness of life comes from an ongoing personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look what he says in, in verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. There's a lot of false teaching out there. Beware of that. Look away. Psychology is important. Philosophy is important. But only if your theology is accurate. Otherwise, it's going to go wrong. And then he says, here's why we need to focus on Christ. Verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You are rooted, you are built up, you are established, you are fully connected with him. In Christ, you have the fullness of God working in you. You have a spiritual relationship with God through Christ. And that should change everything. It should change how we spend our time, how we spend our money. It should change what we complain about. How many things should we complain about? Do all things without complaining, the scripture says. It should change the attitude that we have toward life. It should change that Instead of feeling depressed, now there's a thing called clinical depression, and I understand people have, I've had relatives who've dealt with that, and they need sometimes medical attention to be able to deal with that clinical depression. Uh, but the problem of a lot of people is not clinical depression, they just have emotional depression. They didn't get what they wanted, and they want to pout. That's the way some people are, instead of trusting Christ. I'm not diminishing people who have real psychological or, or mental health needs. Praise the Lord, we live in a culture where they can get the help, where some countries in the world they can't. But don't let yourself get depressed because of your circumstances. Focus on your Savior. Focus on Him. The the fullness of life does not come from stringing a bunch of great temporary moments together. The fullness of Christ comes from walking daily with the awareness that Jesus Christ is in this with me and he's in me in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of your life comes from an ongoing personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
his fullness then becomes your fullness. So you're listening to him through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. So you're having his values shape your values. And so that you're living consistent with how he lived when he was on the earth and how he would want you to live today. So that you're getting close to people who are close to him. You're connecting with him. One of the greatest decisions of my early Christian life was to stop dating somebody who was a nice girl in our youth group, but who didn't have a passion for Jesus Christ. And then I started dating a young lady who had a heart for the Lord. And we're still dating. <laughs> when you really connect to your fullness in Christ, nothing else measures up. There's nothing on earth that's as satisfying as walking with Christ. There's no relationship personally or collectively that can fill that void. Your team could win the championship. Yeah! Next year, they maybe aren't even in the playoffs. You need to have the doctrinal truth that you need to follow Christ and the relational connection with other people who are following Christ. And then just stick with it. Day after day, year after year, be faithful. Because someday... God may greet you in heaven and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He is willing, Jesus Christ is willing to have the closest personal relationship with you that you can possibly have. Are you? Is his value, are his values your values? Is is his focus your focus? Is his mission your mission? Is your heart tuned to his heart? It can be. And when it is, that's when life on earth is at its best. Because this life prepares us for the life to come. So if you're here this morning and you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have not asked him to forgive your sins, don't leave here. Talk to somebody. Trust Christ as your Savior. And if you're here and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, then remind yourself today, the most important thing in my entire life is Jesus. My most important relationship. You can have people stab you in the back. You can have people neglect you and abuse you. And that's okay because Jesus is on your side and he's with you and you're with him. And so... Focus on your relationship with Christ. Get close to him. James said, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You move toward him, he'll move toward you. Get close to him, he'll get closer to you. So right now, you have the closest, I mean, you have just as close a relationship with Christ as you wanna have. If you want it to be better, you can move toward him and he is willing to meet you there. Trust and follow Jesus Christ.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that Paul gave to the people in Colossae that still speaks into our lives today. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified by the decisions that we make. We pray that we would not allow Satan to just snatch this away, that we would think about it, that we would leave this place and think about the message and think about our relationship with you and rejoice that you have rooted us and built us up and established us that we might be able to abound in Christ. In his blessed name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.